Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You may be seated. You know, there are many important things that Christians talk about. And oftentimes we uh, talk about and reflect upon the things that matter most to us. Or that's the goal, at least. Maybe some of us just talk and talk and talk about nonsense or whatever. But, um, but I think as followers of Jesus, we try to line up the things that we care about with what God cares about. That's the goal. But if we're honest with each other, we often fall short of this more times than we'd like to admit. Now, there are a lot of really important things in the Bible that we find in the Bible. There are a lot of truths, important truths that help shape how we function as a church and as followers of Jesus. But let me ask you this morning, have you ever stopped to ask, what is the most important thing? Out of all the good that we find in Scripture, all the good that you find in life, what is the most important thing? The danger for all of us is that we often take good and important things and we make them the most important thing. Without realizing it, we take good things and we make them ultimate things and we center our lives around something that sometimes God never really intended our lives to be centered on. Now, for the Corinthians, they took, they did just this. They took a lot of 
good things and they made them ultimate things. We looked at that with like the gifts of the spirit, right? They would elevate certain gifts over others. Like, oh man, you've got to speak in tongues. And if you do that, you're like a, you know, grade A Christian. And, you know, but they were filled with, uh, they were confused with, with about the spiritual gifts. They were filled with spiritual pride and they were confused on what was the most important thing. And when you forget, you lose focus on what really matters. You know, we have a saying here at the church, and you might have heard it before. It's that our, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You're like, I'm so confused. What is the main thing? <laughs> Listen, whether you're here today and you trust in Jesus, like he's your savior, or you're here today and you don't trust in Jesus, this is a good question for all of us. Because how do you know that the thing that is most important to you in your life is worthy of being in that place? How do you know that the thing that you value the most, the thing that matters so much to you, is indeed the thing that you should care so much about? Listen, you can Google, you can do a quick Google search, I wouldn't recommend it, but you can see what a lot of people share is the most important thing to them. But how do you know which one is it? We all have different backgrounds, different opinions, different preferences on in things in life and things that you know, we're gravitating towards and all of those things. But here's what I'm getting at. While things are always changing around us and we have different backgrounds, and again, different likes, different interests and all of those things, the thing that matters most in our faith is something that is never, ever, ever supposed to change, ever. <laughs> as you and I grow as followers of Jesus, you know, we grow in our understanding of who God is, about his character. We grow in our experience of his love in new and powerful ways and we go through hard times as believers and we come out the other side deeper and better for those things, you know, basking in God's faithfulness. But listen, the thing that matters most must always be at the top of that list. Now again, this doesn't mean that there aren't other important things in life. There's not other important things in scripture or things in the church no, no, we've been talking about and looking at a lot of very important things through 1 Corinthians. There are a lot of things that we should care about. But what this means is that the most important thing always needs to be at the top of our list. And that is what shapes our lives. So that, with all that being said, this is what we're talking about this morning. I've entitled the message, The Most Important Thing. What matters most. Paul starts out this portion of the letter by giving a reminder in verse one. It's a reminder. This is not something that's new to the Corinthians. This is something that they have already heard. They already knew this. They were already familiar with this. What's the reminder? Verse one, Paul reminds them of the gospel. Now the word gospel simply means good news. So whenever you hear the word gospel, think good news. But before Paul, before Paul explains what the gospel is, what the good news is, he explains the importance of it. So let's look at verse 1 and 2 this morning. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved." 
So here in verse one, Paul gives three reasons why the gospel is of first importance. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Number one, the good news, the gospel, is what you received, he says. That is what you received when you first started following Jesus. The gospel is what brought you into the family of God to begin with. Now, to receive something, to receive the good news, is to take it with you or to join yourself to it. So this isn't just intellectually knowing something, right? We, oh, we understand, you know, the, the basic gospel message, like from an intellectual standpoint. No, no, this is embracing something as true for my own life and for your own life. So the gospel is the door. It's the entryway. It's how we're saved the gospel is how we find forgiveness for our sins. The good news is the most important thing because it's what draws us to God in the first place. Are you guys grateful for the gospel? Okay, secondly, the second reason the gospel is so important is because it, he says it's the foundation that we stand on. So we receive it, but we also stand upon it. The gospel is like a foundation to a house. It doesn't matter what part of the house that you're in, you're safe and secure because of the foundation that has been laid. Listen, without the gospel as our foundation, our house cannot stand. Without the gospel being the foundation of your life, your life cannot stand. Listen, your Christianity cannot stand if it's not founded and based and foundation is set, the structure is set in the gospel, okay? If you've come to know Jesus without the gospel, you didn't come to know Jesus. If you've graduated, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you need the gospel. It is the very foundation, the gospel isn't something that we're supposed to gradually drift away from. The gospel isn't something that saved us in the past and doesn't have any bearing in the future. You know, many believers think that the gospel functions solely as just like the entry right into Christianity. Like it's the prayer that we pray, the gospel prayer, um, Jesus come into my heart, amen. Like you receive the gospel and then like you move on from that. A lot of people liken it to like, it's the, like the gospel's the diving board that you jump off into, into the pool of like deeper Christianity. Listen, that is so false. The pool is the gospel. Like the gospel is the pool. We don't ever get away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't outgrow our need for it. Tim Keller said this, that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. All of the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me say it one more time, church. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for four years or 40 years. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we build our lives upon. If you're building your life on anything else this morning, it is going to crumble in the end. It can be taken from you in the end at a given notice. But if you build your life on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it'll never be taken from you. Your life will surely stand. The storms, it doesn't mean the storms won't come in life. It means that you're, you will still stand in the midst of the storm. 
So not only do we receive the gospel, thank you, Jesus, right? Not only do we stand upon the gospel, but third, Paul says that we're being saved by the gospel. The gospel is for the past. It's also for the present, but it's also for the future. The gospel is the hope that we have that our salvation through Jesus Christ will find its completion when he returns. The gospel gives us the promise of new life, eternal life. And the gospel is the way that God brings us ultimately into his kingdom. So yes, the gospel saved us. The good news is the foundation that we stand upon. And the gospel is the assurance and the hope that we have as believers that when Jesus comes for us or we go to him, that we will be made whole and complete. Amen? Listen, nothing is more important than the gospel. But, oh, the importance of the gospel comes with a warning. Look at the end of verse two. He says, if, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, the gospel, unless you believed in vain. Paul is not talking about those who believe losing their salvation. No, no. The Bible teaches that those who are truly saved are proven saved by the fact that they hold fast to God's word, the gospel, Paul says, unless you believed in vain. You know, the, the truth is that there are some in life that believe in vain. You're like, well, what, is, what does this mean? Well, I think Jesus talked about these people in Matthew chapter 7. He says that there is coming a day where people enter the kingdom and they say, Lord, Lord, haven't we done all of this amazing things in your name? Haven't we done amazing ministry? We've done so much for God. <laughs> and you know what Jesus will say? He'll look at them and say, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. That's what Jesus is gonna say. Depart from me. We never had a relationship. You believed in vain. The church of, in Corinth was in a place where they were clearly off track with so many things. They had faulty views. We've been looking at them throughout our study. But here in chapter 15, Paul is reminding them not to forget the gospel, the significance and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Corinth found itself having moved from the simplicity of the gospel. Isn't that so easy to do? You move away from the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. You're like, okay, that's good for a three-year-old. But now that I'm, you know, 55, like I need to know all of the doctrines of the Bible and all of these things to be saved or whatever. It's like, no, Jesus still loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We don't, Corinth, don't lose this message. And listen, church, you and I need to remind ourselves each and every day of the gospel. Each and every day, we must remind ourselves that we have been forgiven. We've been forgiven of our sin. Because sometimes, you know why we remind ourselves? Because sometimes, one, well, we're still sinners. We're still going to sin. So we're like, okay, Jesus died for my sin. Like, I'm a new creation in Christ. Like he's, but also our shame from our past sins haunt us every single day sometimes. And so we remind ourselves, no, no, Jesus' blood covered that sin. And he has removed that sin from my record as far as the east is from the west. And so we remind ourselves on a daily basis of who we are in Christ. To believe in vain means to lose your grip on the gospel. When we, again, when we build our lives on something other than the gospel, even really important things, we're in danger of believing in vain, Paul says. 
So listen, do not be deceived. Nothing is more important than the gospel. Not your family, not your spouse, not your job, not your career, not the American dream, not your retirement fund. Nothing is more important than the gospel. Amen? Amen. Okay, moving on. Nailed that one. Good. So the natural question that arises, okay, Ryan, you've said we, we need the gospel. You've said how important the gospel is. The natural question is, what is it, right? What is the gospel? Paul goes on in verses 3 through 8 to explain this message. Let's look, let's look at verses 3 and 4. He says, for I delivered to you, again, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul is saying here that this message of the gospel is of utmost importance. You know, out of all of the things I think about that Paul could have said like, hey man, the spiritual gifts are of utmost importance. That's what Corinth was doing. No, no, Paul's like, hey Corinth, this message is of utmost importance. He says, I delivered to you what I also received. And Paul, in other words, Paul's like, this isn't my gospel. This isn't, this isn't me making something up. You know, I think of Galatians 1, 11, when Paul says, for I would have, have you know, brethren, that the gospel which, which, which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in these two verses, we see four key truths that the gospel is made up uh, from. Number one, the gospel's not made up, it's made up from. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, not Ryan's fairy tales, okay? I'm only on like one cup of coffee so far, okay? So second service will have the, the correct doctrine. No. <laughs> Number one, note takers, it'll also be on the screen, is that Christ died for our sins. Number one. Now, I know this sounds simple. Most people probably know that Christians believe this. You believe this. You know, it's tempting to allow it just to speak for itself, right? Like, Jesus died for my sins. Amen. God bless. Moving on, right? We know these things. But I want to unpack this for a moment because I want to, this little phrase, Christ died for our sins. I want you to see the power in what's being said in this little, these four words. First, this phrase tells us the identity of Jesus, that he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one, he's the king of the universe, God in the flesh. Second, the phrase recognizes us as sinners, you know, we typically think of sin as disobedience, you know, doing something that, that God told us not to do, right? Classic example, Adam and Eve, right? You can eat of anything but from this tree. What do they do? They ate from the tree. And sin certainly is disobedience, but it's oftentimes more than that. Disobedience is like the symptom, but what is the root? Underneath sin or underneath disobedience is idolatry, that's serving and worshiping created things instead of the creator of things. Under our disobedience, you find self-centeredness. That's living your life at the center of everything. Like you are at the center. You get to rule your life, you know, in the place of God. 
Underneath disobedience, you find selfishness. That's doing what pleases you, what makes you happy, running your life in a way that seems best to you without considering Jesus, without considering others. So sin is something that we do outwardly, but it's also something that we are internally. It's something that we are by nature, and sin is the reason that our world is so broken, and we see the brokenness on on a daily basis. And before Adam and Eve sinned, though, God told them the consequences of sin. You know, the Bible tells us that the natural outcome of sin is death, right? Death plays out in a number of ways. One of the ways is physical death. Physical death is a result of the sin in this world. This last week, I got to sit at the bedside of two women in our church, lovely women, who were on their transition journey at home with Jesus. And one, I left the hospital on Monday, and I was was quite angry. There was an anger that was, like, it wasn't like a a bad anger. It was more like an anger at sin. I, I was just filled with just this flood of just knowledge of just, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. I was angry. This is the result of sin, not one person's sin necessarily. This is the result of us living in a sinful world, physical death. We see, though, also in this little phrase that Christ died for our sins is that Christ came to the earth to die for our sins, that we deserve death and we deserve separation, church, but Jesus came and he experienced that death for us in our place. That Jesus, he died for my sins. And Jesus died for your sins. Are you grateful for that? Fourthly, this tells us that Jesus was able to die for our sins. It's because he is a worthy sacrifice for our sins. You know, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there were priests who would offer sacrifices to atone for the sins of the nation of Israel. But in order for an animal sacrifice to be acceptable, the animal had to be without, without spot and blemish. It had to be perfect. And so too Jesus, God in the flesh, he had to be perfect as well. The Bible tells us that Jesus, or calls Jesus the Lamb of God. No spot, no blemish. He died on the cross, not because he deserved it, but in our place because we deserved it. So Jesus, he lived a sinful, sin, sinless life. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. And as we read the New Testament, is that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he takes our place in death and we take his place in life. Jesus is the son of God. And if Jesus took your place on the cross, you take his place as a child of God. Amen? It's amazing news, isn't it? One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. This is like our old ratty clothing being taken off and we're clothed in righteousness. So Christ took our sin upon himself and he clothed us in his righteousness. One more time, say amen. Okay. Second key truth that we find in verses three and four is that Jesus was buried. And this detail might not seem super significant to you, but I think the purpose of this is to emphasize the fact that Jesus was actually verifiably dead. 
Like he didn't suffer on the cross and then he got into the tomb and then like one day like he like hobbled out of the tomb, kind of like wiping the sweat off his brow, like all jacked up. No, he was dead, like for real dead. He was tortured. He was whipped for over 40 times. He had a crown of thorns placed upon his skull. He was nailed to a cross. He was stabbed in the side with a spear and blood and water were told poured forth from his side. The Roman executioners, like this is their job, right, to kill people. They confirmed that Jesus was actually dead. And so they, you know, just, just for safekeeping, they're going to place Jesus in a tomb. And not only that, they're going to guard the tomb. And not only that, they're going to roll this huge stone in front of the tomb. Why? Because Jesus was dead and they want to make sure he was dead. So Jesus was dead. The third key truth is that we see that Jesus raised. He didn't stay dead. He raised on the third day. Now, the importance of Jesus' physical resurrection, and this is going to be the major theme of this chapter, it cannot be overemphasized. Later in, you know, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul will go on to say that if Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. It's futile. Listen, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then everything else in Christianity does not matter. If Jesus did not physically rise from the dead, then we as believers should be the first ones to say, I'm out of here. <laughs> like I, I, like if, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, guys, there are so many better, awesome things to do on a Sunday morning than come here and sit in these chairs, okay? I can tell you like a list of, of 25 better things you could be doing with your time this very moment if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Listen, without the resurrection, you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sins. But listen, but with the resurrection, we get to walk in forgiveness and newness of life. Amen? Amen. The only reason we can trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins, the only reason we can have hope of eternal life, of one day being with him, the only thing that, that we can just bank upon in all life is that Jesus Christ, in fact, rose from the grave. Now, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to be looking at that in the next couple of weeks, but this is good news. The fourth and final key truth is something that's repeated a couple times, where Paul says that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. He says, all in accordance to the scriptures. Now, the story of Jesus is not a random event that happened at a random place at a random time. The story of Jesus is the climax of the story that began on the very first pages of scripture. Thousands of years before Jesus was even born. This is where his story began. The entire Old Testament is a, is a story that leads us to the story of Jesus. And so every story, every person, every commandment given in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said this on numerous occasions occasions. Um, I think in John 5, he was talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he was arguing about why he was here on earth. And he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you have life. I think of when Jesus, you know, rose, after he rose from the dead, he's walking the road to Emmaus with a couple of his disciples. They didn't recognize him. And Luke 24 says this, then beginning with Moses 
And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning him in all of the scriptures. Listen, Jesus said that all of scripture is about him. And Paul here is saying that the gospel, the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, it's all in accordance with the scriptures. Now, to see Jesus in the Old Testament, we could go through and and look at specific verses, right, that would tie in. You just see just a very clear foreshadowing picture of Jesus. I think quick example is Isaiah 53. We all know this passage. Let me read it to you real quick. It says, but he, capital H, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The book of Isaiah was written hundreds and hundreds, probably 700 years before Jesus was born. But clearly, this scripture foreshadowing, telling us something about what would happen in the future with Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled it. He was pierced on the cross, right? He was wounded, and by his wounds we were healed. Through his death we are made at peace with God. And so again, we could go through scripture after scripture in the Old Testament and say, man, you see Jesus there? Specific, specific verses, you're like, this is Jesus, this is foreshadowing, this is telling about the one day, the future king that's coming. But if you zoom out from just even specific verses, the whole story, the whole story of Israel. You know, I mentioned earlier just about the sacrificial system and how Jesus is the Lamb of God who fulfills the sacrificial system. A couple other examples, you know, the Bible starts off with a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. But the big takeaway from their story is that they didn't do what God told them to do, right? They failed to live the way that God told them to live. And honestly, if you keep reading through the rest of the Old Testament, you come across people like Abraham and Sarah, right? Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Moses, Aaron, you know, Miriam. Um, and those are just, you know, the top hits. But over and over and over again, people in, in the Old Testament failing, failing, failing. But then... Thank Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You get to Jesus in Luke chapter two, and he breaks the pattern of failures. First Peter two says this, he committed, Jesus, no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So Jesus fulfilled the story of a failing humanity. Jesus lived the life that we were meant to live, but failed to live. Another example is that the, the people of Israel, they needed a leader, Right? They needed someone who would selflessly serve them and lead them in the ways of God. And so they had judges, they had prophets, they had priests, and they had kings. Guess what? They all failed. Priests and kings, they were anointed with oil. They were God's anointed ones. But they were waiting for the future day of a future anointed one to come on the scene. A Messiah who would one day come and save them. And then we get to Jesus, who claimed to be that anointed run, the Messiah. And Jesus, he judged and he prophesied and he offered himself as a sacrifice. He served his people as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. 
Jesus is the climax. And so when you read the Old Testament church, you need to keep that in mind, that Jesus is the main point. Because if you forget Jesus, you miss the whole point entirely. So those are the four key truths of the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the grave, all in accordance with the scriptures. Now look at verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul's saying, Jesus was verifiably dead, right? And now he's verifiably alive. He says, if you don't take my word for it, go ask Peter. Go ask Peter. You can go ask the 12. And if that's not enough for you, you can go ask more than 500 others who saw him. Many of you know are are still alive to this day. And Paul says, go ask. Ask these people their testimony when they saw the resurrected Jesus. They're they're not just a handful of just lunatic believers out there, right? Crazy believers. No, there's over 500 of them who saw and witnessed the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. They can verify that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says you can even go ask James. Now, this is interesting because James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And the fun fact about James is that James didn't believe Jesus being the Messiah until after he rose from the dead, right? And I mean, would you? <laughs> like if your brother just starts claiming like, I'm the Messiah, I'm the chosen one, I'm the anointed one, would you be like, nah, like not, 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 not going there. Like loony Ben, here you come, Right? But then one day your brother dies and then he raises from the dead. You're like, shoot, like he's the Lord. Like he's, he is God, <laughs> like, right? Like seriously. So like, I know we diss James, but like, I think I, I relate a lot to James. So J- go ask James, Paul says. Go ask James. He was kind of skeptical. Go ask him. And then Paul says, if all those people aren't enough for you, I myself saw there is in Jesus. Many of you, you know Paul's story, right? Maybe some of you don't, it's okay. His given name was actually Saul and Saul had everything going for him. He was a Greek speaking Jew. He was a Roman citizen when the Roman empire was a superpower. He was an ultra religious Jew who meticulously followed all of the rules. We kind of get his spiritual resume in the book of Philippians, but he was well-educated. He was skilled at tent making, which allowed him to find work anywhere, but he chose to use his privileged position to just mercilessly torment and abuse Jews who were coming to faith in Jesus. He saw all of these new converts going to Jesus as a threat to Judaism. And so he dedicated his life to persecuting these followers of Jesus, approving of the murder of some of these new followers of Jesus. Saul was a bad dude. You know, think of like Vladimir Putin or something, just like even maybe worse. Like if Vladimir Putin was like walking down the street in your neighborhood, you're probably like kids, like come inside, right? That was Saul. That was Saul. Until one day, and I love that, until one day, the story wasn't over with Saul. 
Saul was traveling on the road to Damascus and Jesus appears to him in a vision, confronts him on how he's living his life. Acts 9.3 says this, as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so Saul was on his way to persecute more of Jesus' followers. It's there that Jesus literally knocks Saul off his horse and reveals himself to Saul. And it's from that point on that Saul gets saved, radically saved, and his name gets changed to Paul. Paul saw the risen Jesus. Verse 9, he says, for I am, this is kind of the, the response to Paul seeing Jesus and being encountered by Jesus. He says, man, I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul, again, just reminding the church in Corinth of his testimony reminding them to show them how powerful the gospel really is, how the gospel can radically change a life. And he says, by the grace of God, I am today what I am. Paul says that any good that comes out of my life, any fruitful ministry that takes place from me, it's all because of what Jesus has done, not what I have done. I think of what his words in Ephesians 1, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Listen, church, the reality is this, that the gospel doesn't just save us, saves us, it changes us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul will go on to say, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And after Paul meets Jesus, after he gives his life to Jesus, his life is radically changed. Listen, church, when you put your faith in Jesus, maybe when you did or if you're here today and you haven't, when you do, your life will radically change from the inside out. Paul went from a proud persecutor of the church to a humbled sinner saved solely by the grace of God. I want you to notice how he describes himself. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. He says, I am not fit to be called an apostle. There's a breaking there. There's a humbling there. Because before Jesus, Paul had a religious resume that would make any of us blush. The guy was well-trained, well-versed, well-studied, Brilliant thinker, but he missed the most important thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel humbled him. The gospel broke him. Listen, only the gospel can change a Saul. 
right? A man who is resolved to destroying the church and turn him into a Paul, making him a huge part of the church. And listen, that same gospel, that same good news is available to each and every one of you this morning. Listen, God loves you. And it's not because you did something to earn it or deserve it. God loves you, but it's not because he was impressed with you. It's not because, you know, he thought you would be a great asset to the church. Listen, God loves you, and it could be because God is love. Listen, there is no sin or failure or weakness that can change God's love for you. And we see that from the life of the Apostle Paul. This guy, in, in the world's eyes, was, would be disqualified. A persecutor of the church, and now he's a church planter. Wow, only the gospel can do that. The grace of God, the unmerited favor of God. I think of Paul's words, and no wonder Paul wrote a ton about the grace of God because he experienced so much of the grace of God. I think of Ephesians chapter five, and he says, for by grace you've been saved. Why can Paul say that? Because it was by grace that he was saved. By grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. Paul says it's a gift of God. It's not of works so that you can't boast. You can't take credit for it. You have to simply receive it. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, this is our foundation. We cannot move beyond this. We have to stand upon this. Sometimes we think, you know, we're saved by grace, right? I don't think anyone would disagree. But then sometimes we get that faulty thinking that we have to keep our salvation by our works. Listen, that is anti-gospel. Listen, you and I are saved by the grace of God and you and I are sustained by the grace of God. And we did nothing to earn it or deserve it. It was solely a gift. And this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I pray that you heard what the gospel is and that it's for you. And that if you allow it, to, it will transform your life. That you don't get into heaven by being good enough, nor do you get disqualified from heaven by being bad enough, okay? Listen, I've heard it said that the gospel is good news for those who have done their best and failed. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have tried your hardest and you have come up empty. That's where the gospel comes in for you. Stop trying. Start receiving. You need Jesus. We all need something that, or need someone to do what we can't do for ourselves. And that's what Jesus did. I've heard it said that we, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. And this morning, if you're trying to earn God's favor with your goodness and your righteousness and your church attendance, that is not gonna earn his favor. You need Jesus. So the call this morning is to return to the foundation of our hope. Return to the foundation of our salvation, Jesus Christ. You are nothing. I am nothing. Jesus is everything. He is the most important thing. 
Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.